If you have a Bible handy, I encourage you to open to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Or you may follow along in your worship order where the sermon text has been printed for you. And I'll bring you up to speed in just a moment on where we are in this glorious revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to begin with a word of prayer this evening. Oh God, as we have gathered this afternoon, perhaps with many burdens and distractions on our hearts and in our lives, our spirits are restless as we consider the conditions of the world, perhaps even the condition of our own family. We consider the various needs that arise in our own community, needs physical, material, needs spiritual. And as we are willing in the Spirit to focus and center our hearts and minds on You, we confess that we are weak in the flesh and easily distracted in moments like these. It is my prayer, O God, that You will grant us a moment of relief and reprieve you will grant this congregation of your people the grace to hear Christ speak to them through his word. I pray, O oh God, that you will loosen my lips that I may declare your praises. And that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray for His sake, and for the sake of His church. Amen. Our sermon text for this evening comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 1 to 5, and then also 15, 1 to 3. If you are willing and able, I invite you to please stand for the reading of God's holy word. The word of God reads, and I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless." Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great 
and marvelous are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add His blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of His Word. And all the church says, Amen. You may be seated. We are at war. This has been the series of visions and signs given to us from Revelation 12 and 13, now into 14. We are at war. And it is not a war that we provoked or that we started or ignited. This is a war that has been brought to us by the red dragon and its beasts. They are the ones who are waging war on the Lamb and on His people. And they have been waging this war for generations now. We are at war. And the enemy taunts us and says, Who can stand before the beast and its image? Who can fight against the dragon? Who can withstand the beast? Who can resist their power and their influence? In these visions, we have seen that as the dragon and the beast make their way out into the nations, among tribes and languages and peoples, that many have turned to them and trusted in them and followed them. Many have worshipped them, taking upon themselves the mark of the beast, the number of man, content to be creatures centered on man, centered on self, worshipping and praising and glorifying the self, indulging the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes and boasting in the pride of life. And many have followed the beast and the dragon. The question echoes from last week. Who can resist? Who can stand against them? And the answer is found, <coughs> excuse me, the answer is found in chapter 14, verse 1. I looked and behold the Lamb of God standing on Mount Zion. And not standing alone, but standing as the worship leader over a vast community of His people. The perfect number of God's redeemed gathered on Mount Zion around the Lamb of God. To put things into sharp contrast or bold relief for you, remember that it was the dragon who stood on the shore between the land and the sea. Quite intimidating image. But now we see the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. In your imagination, do you see the contrast? The dragon standing between two spheres of the world. But the Lamb of God standing between heaven and earth. This is to say that the Lamb of God has the strategic military advantage. 
The Lamb of God has the high ground over the dragon. And the Lamb of God is reigning over him. His people reign with him over the dragon and over the beasts. And in the midst of this warfare, this spiritual warfare, it is not with the weapons of the flesh that we fight. It is not with military power. It is not with, it is not with economic pressure that we fight as the beasts of the world do. We wage this holy war by worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We wage this holy war by proclaiming the gospel of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. By praising the name of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. By praying for the nations. Praying that the world will be saved. Praying for our friends and our enemies alike. This is how we wage war against the world. And we do this in imitation of the Lamb of God who surrendered Himself and sacrificed Himself for the nations. There is a contest in these images. The dragon has gone out, sent his beast out to every tribe and language and people and nation. And as we will hear in a moment, it is the Lamb of God who laid down His life and purchased people for God from those same nations and languages and peoples and tribes. This is a war for the heart and the mind and the soul of the world. And we are participating in this war. Who are these 144,000 standing with the Lamb? Just this week, Kevin DeYoung posted a great little article about this on the Gospel Coalition website, and I rejoice in God's little providences. Here's a little snapshot of the article. He says what we've been saying for the last several weeks, but it's often good to hear it from someone else, isn't it? He says, the 144,000 are not an ethnic Jewish remnant and certainly not an anointed class of saints who became Jehovah's Witnesses before 1935. The 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel represent the entire community of the redeemed. Now that sounds great and glorious as a theory, but let me make it personal and personalize it for you that that includes you. That in this moment, as we have gathered before the throne of grace and the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we too have been ushered up onto Mount Zion. And from there we have joined the community of the redeemed in waging this spiritual warfare with the Lamb, the Redeemer of the redeemed. And so we're numbered among this community of people. How do we know? Well, we're described here as a people who have received the name of the Father and the Son on our foreheads. Think of the time when you were baptized and you received 
the sign of baptism and the seal of the Holy Spirit by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. As we saw earlier in our series, the actual number of all of the redeemed who have received the name of God upon them is not actually 144,000. The actual number is so great that it cannot be calculated by man, but only by God. And while many people will try to figure out who is in and who is out and who is counted among the redeemed and who is counted among those who are passed over, what you need to know in this moment is that if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are numbered among the redeemed. You have the name of the triune God upon your life. You have become a name bearer. We're numbered among them, and we add our voices, our prayers, our songs, even our preaching to the great roar of the rushing of waters and the clap of thunder and the sound that's raining down from heaven upon the earth. What is this roar? It is the roar of all of the redeemed waging war on the dragon and the beast by worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It is not a murmur. It is not a whimper. It is not a people who are ashamed to worship Christ. It is a people who have been energized by the Spirit, and the Gospel. And their boast is not in themselves, their boast is in the Lord alone. And we're told here that they're singing a new song, and you have to be among the initiated to sing this song. This is an exclusive church. It is also an inclusive church. Inclusive because it brings in Jews and Gentiles. People from every tribe and language and people and tongue. But only those who are on the inside may learn this new song of the Lamb. What's interesting about this language of the new song is that if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that the prophets and the psalmists urged God's people to sing a new song. Not just one time, but periodically as God acted on their behalf in space-time history. When God moved to rescue His people, to deliver His people, to perform great acts of salvation on behalf of His people, the response was, sing the new song. Not a brand new song, not an innovative song, one that is just made up, but sing the song of the Redeemer anew. Sing it again. Sing it again. Keep singing it and sing it again. This new song never grows old. In Psalm 40, the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the miry pit, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock. And He made my footsteps firm. 
many will see. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Why does the psalmist praise God with a new song? Because personally and individually, he has experienced the saving power of God. He was sinking. He was stuck. He was trapped in the pit of destruction, in a miry bog. And God lifted him up and set him on a rock. He set him on himself. And that is cause for celebration, cause for praise. Then the prophet Isaiah comes many years later and says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. The community of the redeemed are now called to sing a new song to the Lord. To whom do they sing it? They sing it to dragons standing on the shore between land and sea. They sing it to beasts who are rising up out of the land, to beasts rising up out of the sea. They sing it to people who have been taken captive by them and follow them. Why do they sing it? Not to gloat over them. Not to boast over them. But to call them to salvation. To call them to the new things that God is doing. To call them away from the old things. This is missional worship. Come up from the shore. Come up from the land. Come up from the sea. Come to Mount Zion. Come to Mount Zion, O nations. And it is here that the Lamb of God will teach us. It is here that you will learn the song of salvation. Earlier in the book of Revelation, we heard this new song. At least we heard one stanza of the new song. In Revelation 5, we heard that they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Hopefully by now you're beginning to understand what the new song is. And it doesn't have to be abstract or made up. You learn that the new song is the song about salvation and deliverance. <laughs> and redemption. That it is a song about the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. As I said a moment ago, no one can learn this new song except those who have been ransomed and redeemed and rescued by the blood of the Lamb. In the rest of this sign vision, we begin to see some of the marks of those who have been ransomed and redeemed by the Lamb. We begin to identify in clear terms who the redeemed are and what they look like. And I want to share with you 
three marks of the redeemed from this vision. One of the marks of the redeemed is that they sing the praises of Jesus Christ who rescued them from the dragon and the beasts. They sing the praises of Jesus Christ who rescued them from the world, the flesh, and the devil, who ransomed them for God, for the Spirit, and for the new heavens and new earth. They are declaring with their mouths the praises of Jesus. They're not praising some generic God or some generic force, but the person, Jesus Christ, who laid down His life in their place. That's a mark of the redeemed. The redeemed gather for worship. They're a part of the community of God's people. Their lips are loosened to declare His praise. Another mark of the redeemed is that they are holy, sanctified, and consecrated to God. You notice here that they turn away from the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. (coughs) Excuse me. They've turned away from their own cravings and ambitions. The text says that they do not defile themselves with women. This is not to put the blame on any of you women. It's not your fault. Nor is it to praise the men as if they were naturally or inherently good and, and pleasing to the Lord. No, this is simply to point out that in the world, our lusts drive us and move us. It's to point out that in the vision of the book of Revelation, we will meet a woman who seduces man. Thank you so much. He will not lose his reward. <laughs> Let the hearer understand. <laughs> hmm. These people are holy. They've consecrated themselves to the Lord. And it's not simply a matter of turning away from the world and away from their own lusts and cravings. God help us to do that. God help us in our weaknesses. As many of us succumb to the pressures of our own temptations and desires. But we're growing in this. We're pursuing life in Christ. And it's a struggle. It's another part of the... Uh, Our warfare, it's another theater of war, you might say. Our own hearts and minds. God help us to turn away from sin. The redeemed are characterized by righteousness. A righteousness that is imputed to them from Christ. But also a righteousness that they experience in their own life. Again, it's not simply a matter of turning away from the lust of the flesh and the eyes and the boasting pride of life. No, it's also a matter of turning to follow Mary's Lamb wherever that Lamb leads us. You know the rhyme? Mary had a little lamb. And everywhere that Mary went, the Lamb was sure to go. No, it's just the opposite. The new song tells us that it's Mary's Lamb. That's leading the way. 
And those who follow this lamb are marked out as the redeemed. They follow this lamb wherever he goes. And where does this lamb go? We've seen the story of the lamb that this lamb will go anywhere and everywhere that God sends him. He goes on mission to save sinners. He goes on mission to love the broken. He goes on mission to fight injustices. He goes all the way to the cross, to death, to the tomb, and back again. Where is He going now? He is leading His people into the new creation, the new heavens and new earth. How how in the world will we get there? Well, we will get there by following the Lamb, walking in His steps, enduring hardships and suffering, by putting up with agony and pain, enduring shame, shedding many tears, facing our fears, dealing with crises for the sake of the Gospel. Or to put it in the terms of the revelation of Jesus, we will pass through many trials and tribulations and tests as we follow the Lamb into the new heavens and new earth. All of this to say that the redeemed are not covenantally united to the world. We have no obligation to her. We are not bound to that woman, that harlot that sits on the seven hills that we will meet shortly. We are covenantally bound to Jesus Christ and we must faithfully and loyally follow Him as we are united to Him. The third mark of the redeemed is this, that they have the truth of the gospel in their mouths, not the lies of the dragon and its beasts. As we saw earlier in one of the visions, as the dragon wages war on those who are redeemed and the dragon unleashes his wrath against us, how did our forefathers, how did our brothers and sisters in the past overcome the dragon? They overcame the dragon by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. As we heard earlier, our brother Imad mentioned that sometimes we divide these two things and we think that our testimony is simply about our lifestyle and that's enough. While that certainly is a part of what we are called to do is to live out the life of Christ among the nations. There is so much more to our calling. There is also the verbal aspect of speaking the truth of the gospel to the nations. This is a mark of the redeemed. So what we find in these visions from Revelation 12 to 14 is that there is no neutrality. There is no middle ground. There's no no man's land where we can go and make peace with the enemy. There's no place where we can hide and pretend we're either in neither camp or in both camps. We either follow the dragon or we follow the lamb. We either worship the lamb or the dragon. We either suffer with the dragon in the end or we suffer with the lamb now. We either descend into the abyss or we will ascend into the mountain. 
Now I want to say that who we follow and why we follow and where we go are all tied to whom we worship. Worship is not a soft option for the redeemed. It's not something we may or may not do if we have time or energy, if we feel like it. It's not something we should dread. I know it's difficult for many of us because we're accustomed to meeting in the morning and when you have worship in the evening, it's looming. It's out there all day. In the past, we could do it and get it over with and get it out of the way and then go on with life. But now, it looms out there. It frames our day. It disturbs us. It challenges us. We can't get it out of the way. We must face it head on. And this is the challenge. We feel this tension perhaps in ways that others of our brothers and sisters don't feel. But I want to encourage you and urge you with all your hearts to see that in Christ you have this glorious privilege of gathering with His people on the Lord's day. Gathering in the power of the Spirit. Gathering on Mount Zion with all the redeemed through all of the ages, through all space and time, and into eternity to add your voice, to add your prayer, to add your cry and your tear and your need and your sorrow and your joy, your pain, your victory. All of that's offered together to the Lamb of God who took away your sins. Such a small gift. It's such a small price to pay for such an infinite gift that you have received. Well, as we come to the end here, I want to share with you one little section out of this wonderful book I've been reading by Eugene Peterson called Reversed Thunder. If you ever find yourself in in a position to read a commentary, reflection, devotional on Revelation, I would recommend this one to you. But this is what he says about worship. He says, John's recurrent representations of worship are not pious, escapist fictions, but theological convictions. The conviction is that God's action, not the world's action is what we want to be involved in. The world is not the context for dealing with God. God is the context for dealing with the world. In a world in which we are constantly subject to dizzying disorientations, worship is the act in which we are reoriented contextually. Worship is the essential and central act of the Christian We do many other things in preparation for and as a result of worship. Sing, write, witness, heal, teach, paint, serve, help, build, clean, smile. But the centering act is worship. Worship is the act of giving committed attention to the being and action of God. The Christian life is posited on the faith that God is in the action. And when we worship, it doesn't look like we are doing much. And we aren't. 
we are looking at what God is doing and orienting our action to the compass points of creation and covenant, of judgment and salvation. In the press of world events that oscillate between the glamour of celebrities and the violence of terrorists, worship seems like an absurdity. But it is no absurdity. It is, in fact, the most meaningful and significant thing that we are called to do. Revelation 15 has a beautiful song. It is the song of Moses and the Lamb. And what you have here is the convergence of the law and the gospel coming together, pointing us to the glorious and majestic redemptive work of God. And I would like to end today by using these words as our prayer, as our pastoral prayer. So if you will, please be standing as we pray together. I will pray and you will add your amen to the end, but let us pray this beautiful song. Oh God, You have called us to Mount Zion in the grace and mercy of the Lamb. With His blood, He purchased our redemption. We have the right to be here because He made it so. And in response to the person and work of Christ, we say, Great and marvelous are Your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are Your ways, O King of the nation. Who will not fear You, O Lord, and bring glory to Your name? For You alone are holy. All nations will come and worship You for Your righteous acts have been revealed. And it is our prayer, O God, that the nations will come and that they will come through the work of Your Holy Spirit and that they will come through the effort and labor of Your church, including us, as we go out on mission to call the nations to follow the Lamb with us into the new creation. And all the church says, Amen.